on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you what we're watching for in OU Kansas. We preview the game with Michael Swain. We also preview the best games of week nine in college football and give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, October 25th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many re- reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including... Blackjack, Blackjack match, roulette, and Teddy's favorite, craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of October, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this Wednesday morning. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Ted, you excited to go on the road to Lawrence, Kansas? Let's go. I am. I'm looking forward to it. It's um. I actually enjoy Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas. Think it's a uh, a cool town. I don't. I think the stadium's actually, um, you know, I, I think it's a good stadium. At least it's a good stadium to go on the road to and and cover the football game. Uh, I I think the weather is maybe not going to be the best, but football weather, baby. Let's go. Yeah, the weather has be has turned into a topic. Listen, both teams playing the same weather. I I hate hearing weather as an excuse. Execute. Yeah, the ball may be a little wet. It's okay. You can still catch it. You can still throw it. You can still snap it. You can still hold on to it. Other teams are going to be playing the exact same conditions. Who's got the best ball, boy? Everything matters. That's right. We've heard that from Coach Venables. Everything matters. Keep the you, balls dry. You have to be. You have to be on the umpire. Sir, please help me keep the ball dry. Please, please. I used to beg. I was I was shameless about it. Hey, can I get a dry ball? Can I get a dry ball? Can I get uh, over and over and over again? Got to do what you got to do, man. Get get a dry ball. I like that. That's good. Could be a little difficult, though, with the tempo that OU plays with offensively. So, hey, both teams are playing in the same weather. I don't want to hear it. Okay, a couple things before we get to what we're watching for in this matchup. We put another In the Weeds video on our YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also show your appreciation with what is called Super Thanks if you really like that content. We also were in the process of finalizing sponsors for the podcast for next year. 
as OU's SEC era begins. If your business is interested in advertising on the podcast, you can email, email us at the Oklahoma breakdown at gmail.com and we can get you all that information. Enough of that. Let's talk some football. Ted, what are you watching for from OU's defense against Kansas's offense? A lot of stuff. Um, I really like this offense from Kansas. Uh, I I love their run game. They're going to give you a little bit of everything in the run game. You're going to get option, and it's all not the same. You're going to get zone, and it's all not the same. You're going to get gap scheme stuff. You're going to get exotics. You're going to get a bunch. This is, you know, last week I was calling it responsibility football against UCF. Well, that was a good gear up for Kansas because it's going to be the same thing. Um, I, I like a lot of what they do. So I'll start with the option stuff. Actually, let me start with just kind of some like overall things. And a lot of this we heard from Coach Venables on at Rudy's. Kansas is they will line up in all kinds of different formations. Coach Venables said that this week they've had by far Kansas has more formations than anyone else that they've played. It's not even close. Um, kind of the way they operate. And it's kind of hard to see on film because you just, you know, you get the finished formation usually, but they start off in the sugar huddle. A lot of teams give you the final presentation. Um, They'll signal in, they'll count the box, you know, they'll make their final adjustments and they'll snap the football. But the, the time issue that most teams put you under is getting lined up. I early then you have to get out there early to their to their finished formation and then they make adjustments. Kansas is different. They start off in uh, a little huddle, sugar huddle close to the football and they stay in it until 10 seconds or so left on the play clock, turn around, break the formation and run to the line and snap the football. Um they'll do that a lot. They'll do uh, just interesting formations end over uh, end over quads they'll do a formation where you've got guard center guard in the middle then you've got like maybe a, a two yard flex and then you've got a tackle so it's a weird formation um, there's shifts all kinds of exotic shifts all kinds of exotic personnel you'll get 11 personnel 12 personnel 13 personnel with three tight ends out there. Um, it's it's a bunch. Two backs. So there's a and lot of two, stuff. Two really good backs. Two really good backs. Yep. Uh, two really good backs with Neil and Highshaw. And they'll do all of these concepts out of all of those different personnel packages. Um, you know, one of the things that you're going to see is option. They'll run speed option, which is – um, quarterback pressing the edge. They leave the end guy on the line of scrimmage go. Quarterback puts that guy to a decision. Um, and then he'll either pitch it if he commits or if he plays loose and plays the, the pitch, quarterback will keep it. They'll run lead option, which is totally different. Lead option, they'll leave the edge guy go. They'll have a lead blocker in the backfield that goes past the edge guy and is blocking uh, the support player. 
um, you know, and they'll give you this out of a bunch of different formations. Here's the thing that I think is interesting. Either, either they they tell Bean to just press it as long as you can and pitch it, or he's not good at running option. There, there there's most times that he runs it. A lot of times that he runs it, I see that he's. It's almost like it's a he's going to push it and then he's pitching it regardless of what the look is. So it's interesting there. I think there's a, like if he was more aggressive in that, I think there's way more yards that they could they get out of the option, but it may be what they're, what they're teaching him because he is their backup quarterback. Um, you'll get a lot of pin pull with them, especially with Endover, uh, where they've got essentially four guys on one side, quads, whatever you want to call it, Endover, and they will pull the play side guard and tackle. They'll pin down with the tight end, and they'll even pull the backside guard on it. So it's almost like the old student body right or left. Um, you'll see. Hopefully, they're they they're wanting to get a kick out and then lead the the two guards up inside. And um, they've done it well. They had a couple of really nice plays against Oklahoma State with it. That's something that we've been uh, haven't been great with on the perimeter. Uh, UCF got us on a couple of reverses. Um, you know, Tulsa, if you remember, they hit us on the crack toss, kind of the, a similar type of situation. So we've got to be good at that. Um, there's a bunch, like, you'll get everything. They'll run wham. You know, they'll line the H back up tight, and he'll, you know, I don't know how you explain it. It's almost like a quick little trap with the H back on on a down lineman, and, you know, the offensive line sifts up right now to the to the second level. You'll get some of that. Um you have to have your eyes peeled as a transition to the passing game. Why pop pass on some of their run concepts? They will, they'll like arc block where he'll, he's either on the ball or off and they'll release out. And it's almost like an influence on the support safety. You know, as he arcs out wide, the support safety is, is this a pass or is he releasing wide to block? And if you get the eyes in the wrong spot, um, you know, it's like an RPO on the Y instead of out on the wide receivers. He'll give it if the safety on the arc is stays high and over the top. And he'll pull it if the safety attacks and the, and the arc is open and they'll hit the pop pass. They hit Oklahoma State on um, at least two long touchdowns on pop passes. Now, one of them is another thing that I was going to get to is they will hide the tight end at tackle as an eligible. Um, they'll have like trips to the outside with the tackle bumped out where he looks like he's on the ball and the tight end is is actually there and he's uncovered and you know, they'll mess with that a bunch of different ways, but if you're not prepared for it, there he goes. He looks like he's playing the tackle position. He runs a seam right down the middle of the field. They hit Oklahoma State on one uh, out of that formation where he was hiding at tackle. So you've always got to be keyed in formationally. He So Andy Kardelnicki, their offense coordinator, guess what position he coaches? H-backs, tight ends. They have a lot of things dialed up for that group. And Mason Fairchild's a really good player. Yeah. 
right? He he's a good player, but yeah, it, it they have a lot of their most creative stuff dialed up for the guys in his room. So I I don't think that's any surprise at all. So and it fits well with what they do. It absolutely does. This is I think this is one of the most difficult offenses to defend in all of college football. With everything they do, I'm not entirely sure how they carry everything that they carry. I know. Just has to be an incredible amount of walkthrough time with this group. Right? Yep. And they got to have some guys that have high football IQs. I've seen NFL teams with less than what they've got. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, when you look at the passing game, the passing game is not nearly as intricate as as the run stuff is. But, you know, you're going to get some good stuff. Like a, a lot of – they love to create bunch routes, either either motion to, like, create conflict with two or motion to create conflict with three, uh, especially whenever you're running a, a man-to-man stuff and try and either have you zone it off or try and get some picks, a lot of bunch stuff. Um, you'll get – the downfield stuff is – mainly digs and kind of some go balls or like deep over routes. You you don't get a whole lot of short stuff. Most of their short stuff is the stuff that's kind of created out of, out of bunch. And it feels like those plays are kind of designed for, um, I almost like they're, they're designing somebody open. So it's not a lot of weight and read it out. It's kind of like we're trying to generate this pick and they get it and then they they throw the ball right away. So Bean doesn't sit back and read a lot of things out. They'll attack you on some digs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is like play action, quick design stuff off of off of some of their runs and the ball's designed to come out right away. Um, they... One more interesting thing is they'll do some shovel pass stuff to wide receivers. Anytime you have a wide receiver that's near the core and um, what, you know, defenses a lot of times call it nasty. Whenever you've got the X wide receivers is tight to the core. You'll see that a lot on boot whenever he's running an over route or if they're going to motion to create a bunch. Kansas will also have, uh, and he's on an on the ball wide receiver outside of the tackle a couple of yards and on the snap he'll come into the backfield and they'll run a shovel pass to him so it's it's super creative you don't see that from a lot of people you'll see shovel pass but a lot of times it's a back steps up like he's going to block they turn around and hit the shovel but this is almost like a like beans going to sprint out it's not a very spirit it's like a half speed sprint out and then he'll shovel it back inside to a wideout. So there's a lot of stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, Personnel-wise, uh, I think Highshaw and Neil are both really good backs. Physical, uh, breakaway speed, good vision. Um, you know, 
as much run stuff and option stuff as they do, you would think that, and as athletic as Bean is, that there's a lot of quarterback run stuff, but they it's really not a lot of called quarterback run. They'll run the option stuff, but you don't see – they'll sprinkle it in, but it's it's not as heavy as, as I thought it was going to be. And then, you know, they've got multiple wide receivers you got to look out for. Um, Arnold, number two, is a really good player. He's kind of their go-to. And then Wilson is maybe their best deep ball threat. So you got you got to look out for those guys. And, again, a lot of it is kind of one-off. Here's where we're going with the football, and they're trying to design those guys open. Yeah, I'd say Luke Grimm is, I don't know, the OU equivalent, right? Like kind of their Drake Stoops guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Third down situations, red zone guy. Uh, they tend to find him in some of those situations. But, Ted, I think you have – I think you've done a good job of scaring OU fans about te- about uh, <laughs> Kansas's offense. Well, that's good. I, what, I think they're really what do you good. What do you think – what what does OU's defense need to do really really well to make sure that Kansas's offense doesn't really get going? Stop the run, and I think I think if we can get lined up properly, communicate well, and have our eyes in the right place, I think we'll be fine. Um, they're going to generate some yards in the run game. It, they just they have so much stuff. It's just going to happen. Um, but a, a lot of times it almost feels like they're running the football and they're doing all of this stuff at the line of scrimmage. And yeah, they're trying to get yards, but really what they're trying to get you to do is almost settle in. And then they hit you with a, like a trick em dick em play and they hide the Y and they try and pop one on you over the top. If you if you can eliminate all of the the gotcha stuff by having good eyes, I think we can do a really good job. Now, I wanted to ask you about the offensive line because I think we can control the line of scrimmage, but this group, I don't know how physical they are. I don't know like if individually you have any like great pass pro guys. But, and this is a great quality, and we don't see it often. I feel like they are always blocking the right guys. Correct. And that is like 90% of the battle. Like when they run zone, I, it looks like their eyes are in the right place. They're, they're both comboing up to the right guys. You know, they're not overwhelming athletically, but, you know, high football IQ, as, as you mentioned earlier, it seems like. No, I'm I'm with you. I think Dominic Pooney, the left tackle, has done a really good job. 67, I think Nowitzki, the center, has done a really nice job. And that's the thing. Offensive line, if you are going to the right guys, right, and you're confident in where you're going, usually you can play fast. And usually when you play fast, you're playing pretty damn physical. And that's the thing. This is the most talented offensive line they've had in – I don't know, a long time. Yeah. It, he it's started a good playing group. a lot of these guys young, didn't he? I mean, when they were like freshmen and they've kind of grown up together. Yeah. It's a it's a good group. They play really well together. And it's clear to me they have a very good understanding of what they're trying to accomplish offensively. 
they they're they're really solid. So it's going to be it's going to be a good challenge, but I think with the what, what we've seen from Oklahoma's defensive front I don't expect Kansas's group to be knocking the Sooners off the ball or anything like that. That would surprise me. But what Kansas does have is all of this variety, mm-hmm. right? Does OU's defensive front, do they get caught up in all the thinking and trying to analyze everything that Kansas is trying to attack them with offensively? Or do they have a clear understanding of what's coming? But are they able to communicate quickly? And are they, they able to come off the football and play fast? Right and not be doing too much thinking. Right, there's nothing that slows down a defensive line like indecisiveness and confusion, uncertainty. Right, yeah. so I'm with you. I think the key is having a clear picture, a, a clear understanding of what Kansas is trying to do. Getting lined up, communicating everything quickly, and then just going out and playing, man. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Just eliminate the big chunk plays with the the pop passes and hiding the Y and you know I, if you can eliminate that I think we'll I think we should be able to have a really solid game against them I, I expect them to hit on a couple of plays but I I think that we can I think we can really put up a good number defensively I do tackling gotta yeah. continue to be good high Sean Neal those guys are legit both really good backs. You got anything else? OU's defense versus that Kansas offense. I think that covers it. All right. Let's talk about OU's offense versus Kansas's defense. First of all, the structure, 4-2-5 defense. Mostly even front, but can jump into some odd spacing stuff if they need to. This is what I'll say. They are, they are better than they've been on defense. But they're still bad. If OU doesn't score a bunch of points, I'm going to be disappointed. I'll tell you right now, if OU doesn't score a bunch of points against this defense, I'm going to come on here on Sunday, and I may have a little mini freakout. <laughs> because it, it is they're, – they're better. They're just not – from a personnel standpoint, they're still just not where they need to be. They're not anywhere close to where Leipold wants them to be. But let's start with the run game. I do not believe the Sooners need to get overly complicated with the run game. Honestly, I think they can run split zone, zone insert, and counter and be just fine. That's basically what UCF did against them. And don't let the final score fool you. UCF ran the ball really well against Kansas. Really well. Their defensive line is, I'm going to say this a lot, they're better <laughs> but not where they want to be. And you look at that group, I I don't think there's a ton of talent. They play hard. They're physical. I do think they use their hands well, right? Yeah, I think they do a really nice job of head and hands, extending, and then trying to shed blocks, especially Devin Phillips, number 40. He's the guy that stands out the most to me on tape. There's some impressive clips of him removing some offensive linemen from his person. But, This is a defensive line that OU's offensive line should be able to control, right? Now, I know that Caden Green's a freshman at left guard. I know, hey, what's right guard going to look like between Schaefer and Bird? I think it should be Bird. But 
I still think the talent along OU's offensive line, it's just much greater than what Kansas has along their defensive front, Ted. Yeah. And usually whenever you 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 have a team kind of like in, in Kansas's situation, there may be um there may be a player or two on the defensive line that are really solid players, but if you get into long drives where they've got to start subbing some of those guys out and you get down the roster a little bit, that's whenever you should really be able to take advantage of the mismatch on the line of scrimmage. Completely agree. Completely agree. So sticking with the run game, I I think OU can have success running the ball. And one of the big reasons why is that defensive front, but I think their inside linebacker play is bad. They play a lot of different guys. And for the most part, every guy they put in those situations just kind of looks a little lost out there to me when it comes to the run fits, when it comes to seeing blocking schemes, when it comes to playing downhill. And I know some guys are coached more, you know, play lateral now with all the RPO stuff that's prevalent in college football. But Ted, it just, it doesn't seem like they see it to me. Like the counter stuff, it doesn't seem like they see the pullers. The zone, the split zone stuff, it doesn't seem like they see the split action. I don't know. They just look a little... Like they're kind of just floating out there. I don't don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than it doesn't look like they are completely dialed in to what they're seeing from a blocking scheme perspective. Yeah. And, you know, they've, it looks like they kind of rotate several different groups in there. And it's probably because they're hunting for someone and it probably makes their situation worse because no one really stands out and I don't know that anyone is, is getting like the starter treatment and getting like all of the reps in practice. It feels like there's, there's way too big of a mix. Like you don't see that much rotation typically at that spot. Most places their inside backers play the entire game. So I don't know. It's I, I agree with you though. And that's something that we have to be able to take advantage of if, if guys are floating out there, we've got to be able to run the football, you know. And if if you play a team where the inside backers are aggressive and attacking downhill, well, you've got to be able to counter that too. But I, with a group that's soft and indecisive, you got to be able to run the football. I, it's just if if we're going to be a championship level team, we have to be able to run the football in Kansas and and run it really well. And I think they're more than capable of doing that. Now, people that listen to this podcast know that I am. I'm very passionate when it comes to zone running schemes. I do think with what we've seen from OU's offensive line and what I've seen from Kansas's defense, I think gap schemes are good in this one. Now, the Sooners have been more of a zone team here lately, but if you can get to some counter, some one-back power, right, the one-back tackle power that we've seen them run with Guyton at some points in time this season, once again, I think those inside backers do a really poor job of recognizing and tracking pullers and working through all the trash. And I'll I'll get a little in the weeds here. When, When teams have run counter against UCF, so counter, uh, 
GY counter is what I call it. I guess it could be an H. You could label the guys an H back, but we run it with Stogner, so I call it GY counter. Right, the guard is the first puller. Right, he pulls and goes and kicks out the end man on the line of scrimmage, and then Austin Stogner is the second wrapping puller, and he inserts. Right, Kansas wrong arms counter on the first puller, meaning when that guard comes to kick him out, they wrong arm it and try to get inside that puller and have everything bounce outside. Right, so that the play will hit wider to some unblocked guys out there in space. Stogner, he's got to be good knowing that that's coming. He's got to get around that and not get knocked off by the wrong arm. And I like it because it will get the running backs out in space a little bit. Right, we have not seen, you know, other than some glimpses from Sawchuck and some stuff we've seen from Tawi Walker, we haven't seen this running back room have a great feel for operating in tight spaces right in between the tackles. I I think if they can get out and feel a little space out there, set Stogner's block up a little bit that they can have some success on that counter play. And they had a lot of success on it a year ago. Now that was with Eric Gray. He's really good at making people miss. We have not seen a running back that has been capable of doing that this season but I think I think the counter concept is good with the way that Kansas defends it with the way that their inside backers struggle I I will be I'll be surprised if Lebby doesn't dial that count concept up a little more than we've seen them using it lately yeah I'd like that a lot yeah and it, it does feel like maybe getting our backs out in space if which it's it's not easy to do, right? You you've got to you've got to be able to block it up and have the right concept to get those guys kind of out there in that alley a little bit where they can maybe make a guy miss. Uh, you know, it it's it's it becomes way more obvious. You either get out there and you make guys miss, or you get straight up tackled one on one, and it looks re- way worse <laughs> than it does on the inside. So hopefully, if we can pull that off, and I agree with you, it would be good. Hopefully we can maybe get those guys some confidence and win a lot of those battles. I'm with you. All right, some past game thoughts. Looking at their defense, I always look at the defense and go, okay, what what do they do well? Right? What are their strengths? And I think I think corners the strength of the football team. And that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of thinking. Because Kobe Bryant, number two for them, he he's a really good player. I think Melo Dotson, number three for for them, I think he's improved a lot. I think he's a solid corner. And something that we saw from UCF, and it's something we saw a lot late last season, Ted, was teams starting to get really aggressive in coverage against this team. And I, I wonder, with the strength, being at corner for Kansas, could we see them commit a little more to the run and just say, Hey guys, we're going to have to play some man coverage, go out there and do your thing. And you go back and you look at the UCF game other than Nick Anderson, like no one was creating a ton of space, right? Now Drake's dupes did some really nice things, but I just wonder if we could see this defense go, you know what? 
we're not going to let him just gash us with the run game. We're going to commit more to the box, and we're going to see if these guys in our secondary can hold up. I, I mean, it would not shock me if Kansas challenged OU with some more man coverage concepts. And if they do that, like Farouk, you got to win. Nick Anderson, you got to win. And I, I don't know if that's what they're going to end up doing. Maybe they go the complete opposite and they play a lot of deep zone and say, hey, we'll, we'll just try to we'll try to play red zone roulette, right? We'll try to hold up for some field goals. Maybe you'll miss a couple more. But I, I just don't think they can play, sit back in a bunch of zone and stop OU's run game with what they've got in their front six, front seven. Yeah, maybe try and try and force uh, in a chaotic box, force Dylan Gabriel to throw into man-to-man coverage. And, you know, those guys, it doesn't take much to be open against man-to-man, but as a quarterback, whenever there's a lot of chaos around you in the pocket and, you know, you you know they're coming, your, your clock gets sped up a little bit, it looks like those guys are covered and it takes a little longer sometimes for those things to, to pop open and, Puts the, it puts the pressure back on the quarterback, you know, to say, yeah, they may be open. There may be a window there, but can you get it to them under duress? So, yeah, I, you've it's a mismatch, our offense against their defense. They have to find something to kind of, you know, say this is where we're going to make our fight. And whether it's, whether it's you know, blitzing, going man-to-man coverage, trying to, trying to go about that way, or – you know, say we're going to make you snap it a bunch of times on us and play zone. Like they're going to have to pick. And I think because of the way their offense is, I do feel like it's, I would guess it's the aggressive nature because they don't have the players to really tackle in open space and inside backers to adjust and be big factors in the, in the zone, uh, zone scheme. So I, I think that's a good assessment. That's probably what I would do if I was Kansas. Yeah. Now you look at, you look at that secondary, I do think they're willing to give up some short stuff on the outside. That includes the RPO stuff, right? Just catching the snap, throwing it out there on those quicks. Uh, they give up, you know, shorter out routes, shorter comebacks, you know, kind of just curls. It seems like they're willing to give up those types of throws. And I could see OU taking a ton of those, right? Making those corners tackle, right? Yeah. Corners are notorious for not, Exactly loving that part of the game. So make those guys tackle a little bit. And then one guy that I think can have a big game is Drake Stoops in the slot. Uh, Now continues to make big plays for this football team, but I'm really not impressed with anybody they put out there at that nickel spot. Uh, They've got two bigger body guys in number 15, Craig Young and number 10, Jason Gilliam, that are both around 225 pounds. They can't cover Drake. They'll bring a corner, number 18, uh, Callan Gervin, to play that spot in passing situations. I'm not overly impressed with his speed. Uh, I think Drake can route him up. And, and I also think Drake does a nice job of finding space in the middle of the field, right? When your inside backers aren't completely dialed in to where they are fitting in some of those underneath zone coverage concepts. And just like they're lost in the run day run game Ted, Kansas inside backers do not seem to know where they fit in the coverage schemes. 
there's sometimes they'll run into each other. They'll be working opposite ways and they run into each other and they look at each other like, why are you here? Why are you here? It's it just kind of a mess there in the middle of the defense for Kansas. Got to be able to take advantage of that. I, we should eat that up. If if we've got we've got in, indecisiveness at, at the inside backer spot in the pass game and in the run game, we should be able to chew these guys up. It is one of the games where I really wish, oh, you had a dynamic tight end. Because I, I, I would love that matchup between a play, you know, a dynamic big guy and their bigger nickels. Maybe it's Cade McIntyre. I don't know how the hand is doing. But if he wants to go out there and run by some guys and catch some passes, I would love to watch it. This would be the week for it. <laughs> now, looking at their defensive line when it comes to pass rush, last couple of years, they've had a good edge rusher. Right, Lonnie Phelps a year ago, Kyron Johnson a few years ago. Austin Booker, number nine, is the, is their best pass rusher. He's just kind of a confusing player. And it sounds like he's been banged up a little bit, but I'd say he's got an unorthodox approach to pass rushing. Now, this guy, he is 6'6". He's got long arms. Uh, I mean, when he turns it on, you're like, dang. Okay, but it seems like his main goal is to just not get touched by an offensive tackle. <laughs> it's like it's it, and it's it's interesting. He like tries to lull tackles to sleep and then make a move and not get touched, whether it's inside or outside. And he's had some success with it, but the Sooners need to do a nice job on him. He's definitely their best pass rusher. But overall, OU's pass protection has been really good this year. And I expect it to be really good in this game. Uh, Kansas is not a team that dials up a ton of elaborate pressure. They keep it pretty simple with their pressure concepts. And this is one thing I can almost guarantee, and it's something that Kansas has done this year. Double mug linebackers. Two inside backers standing up in the A-gaps. Because, Ted, what did OU give up a sack on against UCF? That exact look, the little pick uh, there on the guard. So Kansas is going to see, it, it may be the first third and long of the game. Kansas is going to see if Caden Green and Savion Bird and Andrew Raymond, whatever running backs on the field, can figure it out. Yeah. And they better figure it out or else I may lose it. <laughs> well, um, as Coach Venable said, Monday night, if I, I asked him if, if we are going to see the sprint draw from Kansas because UCF hit us on us, he said, well, that's a professional courtesy. Uh, I would expect them to to see if we've got it figured out in, in kind of the same situation here. Um, yeah, I'm I'm guessing they, they've covered that. Hopefully they can pick it up next time they see it. That's all I got. You got anything else? No, I you know, I think that Kansas is a dangerous team. I think on a given day, if you don't have your antennas up for all the stuff that they're going to throw at you and you come in flat, low energy, maybe a little bit kind of like we did against UCF, this team can beat you. They can beat you. We can lose to Kansas. So, I mean, you better be ready to play. If we show up and play our game, if we play Oklahoma football, 
I think we can blow them off the field. It's just whether or not we show up and play a complete game. It's, you know, we're getting close to November. We're 7-0. and It's about time to start hitting our stride and playing some complete football games. You know, we've played a lot of really good football up to this point. But every game we come out and we say, well, it was good, but it was good, but there's always one aspect that we're looking at saying, if we clean this up, we're going to be really tough to beat. And that's gone on for a while now. It's, it's time to start dialing it in. All right. This is, we're about to, we're about to get into the real stretch run here where we need to be hitting our peak. I'm with you and everything's on the table for this team. I'm going to keep saying it right with the way you look around the country. It doesn't feel like there's that dominant team. Right. And then we'll get to the Michigan situation. I don't even know what to make of that, but it it feels like there's an opportunity ahead, uh, ahead of this football team. And, And we'll see if they can make the most of it. All right, let's get to call your shot. We ask you the number one thing you'll be watching for in OU Kansas. Uh, This first one comes from KGZ10, who says, stop the run, establish the run on offense, win the turnover battle, and fix special teams. I think KGZ just gave the perfect recipe to winning on the road. If we can accomplish those things, we can beat anyone. All right. That's, that's going to be our formula, you know, and, uh, I think we're more than capable of it. Let's see. I would I would really like to see Zach Schmidt hit a couple field goals. Now, I, I say that. I don't want OU settling for field goals in this game. Let me make that very clear. But if they kick him, it would be nice to see him stroke a couple uh, just just for the the overall psyche of the fan base right now. I feel like there's been a lot of kicking discourse this week amongst OU fans. Psyche of the fan base and psyche of himself, right? Right. Go hit some stuff. You know, get some confidence going. He's got a he's got a big leg. Um. You know, I don't know what you do at kicker. We know he's capable of making all the kicks that they jog him out there for. Uh, you know, you just gotta you gotta get some confidence and go start hitting some of those because. As as the games get more and more important and they're going to start getting more and more difficult, the margin's going to get smaller and smaller and you're going to have to make field goals to win. You can't, you can't afford to go out and miss two field goals. You're not going to be able to win the big football games that way. So I'm with you. Uh, other than, you know, keep giving opportunities and let him find some confidence, I don't know what else you do there. I mean, you have what you have at the position. I hear you. This other one comes from at Lone Guy 78, who said, Can the secondary eliminate busts in coverage and make Kansas earn points on Saturday? I love how he phrased that earn points. If you think about it, it's it's the thing that plagued our 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 team for years, a decade. Just the wide open uncovered, easy, don't even make them have to earn it, touchdowns. We have cut down on that a huge amount, but it's still there. UCF, you know, had that one, didn't make them earn it. 
you know, uncharacteristic of, of Woody Washington to come off his coverage like that. We saw it a couple of times against Tulsa. You know, we've given away, even though we haven't had a lot of points scored on us this year, a lot of them have been freebies where we didn't make them earn it. And that is how Kansas stays in this football game because they are really good at creating that exact situation right? of enamoring you with all the other stuff and then hitting you with the free one with the uncovered tight end somehow, uh, generating a, an easy play for them. So, yeah, if we can eliminate that, we should be able to play a, a really good day uh, defensively. Absolutely. All right, let's little let's learn a little more about the Kansas Jayhawks from Michael Swain. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Loves Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Loves Travel Stops. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile-to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamore. It's hunting time in Oklahoma. And if you're looking to buy hunting property, the land doctors can help you find the ideal ranch. They build custom hunting lodges and lakes and can turn Oklahoma's raw land into your personal playground. If you'd like to sell some land or you simply want to add to your portfolio, then call Colton Cole at 405-615-7645 or visit LandDoctors.com. And celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coupe Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with a nice cold beer from Coupe Ale Works. You can join it at the Palace on the Prairie, at the at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit schoonerale.com. Must be one, must be 20, must be one to purchase. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. All right, here is Michael Swain. It is our pleasure to be joined by the man that covers the Kansas Jayhawks. He is the beat writer for Kansas for 24-7 Sports. Michael Swain is in the house. Michael, how are we doing, man? Doing great, doing great. We're kind of in crossover season now where we got some football going on, some college basketball starting to ramp up. It's a, a busy time, but I think pretty exciting for Kansas football fans with how well the program has been doing the last two years. You guys have a good basketball team? Really? Huh? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Now, Here's where I want to start. Kansas coming off the bye, right? Is there anybody that maybe was really banged up that now is going to be healthier for him or someone that was out that's going to be back like a key contributor? Are there any guys like that for the Jayhawks? Yeah, I think everyone's going to ask about Jalen Daniels, right? You know, the KU's quarterback who has been a game-changing player when he's been healthy. You know, he, he tweaked his back injury that he suffered in August. He was able to play a couple games and he tweaked it against Texas. There was hope that maybe by the time this week came around, he'd be able to go. He's closer to being able to be go 
are ready to play for KU, but I don't think that's going to happen this week. Jason Bean probably is going to be the starter because they're going to build the game plan over the course of the week and really over the course of the bye week, and they need the starter to get those reps. So I'd expect Jason Bean to be the starter, but I think for KU, you look at the defensive line against Oklahoma State, the last game KU played. You know, Austin Booker has been one of the most productive defensive ends in the entire conference this season, and he played that game on one good knee. If you watch the game, you see him. He's got a huge brace on that knee. It sounds like he's a lot closer to being to 100%. Jeremy Robinson on the other side is a big-time defensive end for KU who's been really consistent this season. He got banged up in the previous game um, against UCF. He played against Oklahoma State, wasn't at 100%. I think the bye week really helps those type of guys. And look, KU's going to need him against Oklahoma because that offense is crazy good. But I think those are two of the big ones that – you look at KU and what they need to do on Saturday, getting those guys healthy is huge. All right. You mentioned quarterback. So I, I got to go there. Um, mm. Am I crazy that I feel like there's something more going on than maybe what meets the eye here with the back? I feel like, I don't know. There's been very little information, which, you know, some coaching staffs are like that when it comes to injuries, but you know, I, I think the red flag really went up whenever, they at least sounded like they were surprised by it right before the Texas game. You just kind of look, he's played three games um, by almost like he's decided himself to shut it down and keep a year mm-hmm. eligible. I don't know. There's a lot. It look, just seems weird from the outside looking in. Yeah. And look, I'm, I'm in my mid twenties. I don't know much about back injuries from my own experience, <laughs> but it's, it is, Look, if you talk to people on the program, it's legit. You know, he woke up against that morning against Texas and, and t- had tweaked it at some point, either that morning prior to kind of the walkthrough that they did. And he tried to go and, and couldn't. And I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I certainly can connect the dots and see that it, it looks like there's a lot more going on. But at least from what I'm hearing, it, it sounds like it's legit. Jalen wants to play. He's fighting to get back to be able to play. But Again, it's it's a back injury that is probably a little more serious than KU let on at the beginning, but you know that's kind of how Lance Leipold rolls. He wants things to be very close to the vest. He doesn't want much information out there. He wants to be the voice, the one that's giving the updates and not having things leaked throughout the course of the week. So, you know, I understand that you know myself would love to know more than what's going on, but Lance Leipold tries to keep everything kind of close to the vest. So. I think Jalen will play again this year. Obviously, I could get cold takes exposed for that, but I think he will play again. But I certainly understand where a lot of people are coming from because you're not the only one that thinks that way. Now, the offense is, I mean, it's still been very productive without him, right? Jason Bean has done a nice job running Kodaniki's system. But looking at this matchup in particular, with the way that Oklahoma's defense has been playing this season, Michael, how how do you think Kansas can have offensive success in this game? Yeah, I think when I look at Oklahoma, they've done such a good job of stopping the run. And you think about what Oklahoma looked like last year, they struggled to tackle. They really couldn't stop the run. Guys were in the wrong spots, and now they've really fixed that. But what you've seen, I think, teams do is really attack the middle of the field against Oklahoma. And for KU, they do a very good job of putting safeties in conflict. You saw that against Oklahoma State. You've seen it in just about every game KU's played this year where they make safeties think that a run is coming, and then all of a sudden they've got a guy running five yards behind them. And it could even not even be on a play action. It could just be on um, a simple motion that KU does that gets someone's eyes in the wrong spot. So I look at this game for 
KU and they've got to be more consistent offensively. They've got to find a way to run the ball. But I think the points and moving the ball consistently is honestly going to come from trying to push the ball down the field against this Oklahoma secondary that is good, but still has not been perfect and has shown over the course of the season that there are some places where you can exploit. So I think KU is really going to have to try and do that and really just hope that they can get something on the ground where then they can be a kind of multifaceted offense that Andy Colton, like he wants to be. That being said, push. I mean, I, I think that's a, I, I agree with what you're saying there um, against Oklahoma's defense. That being said, anyone that you expect maybe to have a big game or a player to watch in the game, and maybe there's a couple, but um, who maybe sticks out to you? Yeah, well, I think obviously, right, Jason Bean, you look at what Jason has been during his time at Kansas. He's really, really good when um, in the first, second, third quarters, right? It's in those times when you see K putting up a lot of points. And it's in the high leverage situations where Jason Bean has not been at his best. You look against Oklahoma State in the fourth quarter. I think you can look against Oklahoma when KU needed a, a score last year in the game. I think before halftime, he throws an interception. It's in those moments that KU needs Jason Bean to be better because it's in those moments that Jalen Daniels is at his best. And so I think he's a huge player for Kansas. If KU's going to win the game, he can't turn the ball over. He's going to have to have a, a really, really good game. And where everyone's going to talk about it post game, saying, hey, you know, maybe KU should roll with Jason Bean for the rest of the season if Jalen Daniels is still hurt, you know, something like that. So I think you look at who Jason is going to target. Trevor Wilson is his guy. They've got a really, really good rapport. Um, Wilson's a, a smaller receiver, but got speed to burn. He's been really, really explosive, and they've connected a few times over the last few weeks. You look against Texas, they connected on a long touchdown. You look at Oklahoma State, they connected on a long touchdown. Wilson is also KU's punt returner, and he scored against UCF on a punt return. So I think those are kind of the two big guys for KU. And then I think in the run game, this is a Devin Neal game. You know, Devin is an incredibly talented running back. And these are the games where if K's offensive line does struggle to block against Oklahoma's defense, he's going to have to make bad blocking look like good blocking with the way he's going to evade defenders. So for me, I think those, at least on offense, those are the three guys I'm really looking at. How his last one on the offense, Mm. how I feel like the issue for Kansas over the last, you know, several seasons has been the line of scrimmage play. Right. Yeah. They've had a lot of issues, but it's been like that's been the top issue, in my opinion. How has the offensive line looked? Because when I watch them on tape, that is it's a well coached group. They're playing at a much higher level than they've played in in the past. Totally, totally. And I think that is the biggest area. It's going to go under the radar, right? Because I think most people, it's not sexy to talk about the offensive line. But oh, I, think I know, that Michael. Is, no one no, wants that, to talk about it with me. It's ridiculous. That is the, that that's the area where if you look at what has happened for this Kansas program, it's been the offensive line. I think they allowed the fewest sacks in the conference last year and they are really well coached. You're right. But what Scott folks, the offensive line coach does is he really molds a good unit together where K doesn't have a guy right now that's going to get drafted after this season. They don't, but they play well as a unit. They don't have to sit back there and try and block for five, six seconds because the ball comes out fast from the quarterback as well. So I think the biggest area for KU to improve over last season was the physicality of that offensive line, where at times against these bigger teams like Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor last season, 
he really struggled to block. They couldn't create consistent gaps in the run game, and they've been able to do that more consistently this year. They ran the ball pretty well against Illinois. They ran the ball well against BYU, two teams that I think you'd think are, are pretty physical teams. Now, the big step is, can they do it against an Oklahoma or against a Texas? They didn't do it against Texas. They've got the chance to see if they can do it against Oklahoma. So the offensive line has been better. You know, I think Lance Leipold will always say it's not where he wants it to be, but man, it if you look at where it was in 2020, when they think they allowed 40 something sacks in 10 games, like it's a night and day difference. How about the other side of the ball? Uh, going to be a big challenge with, with Oklahoma's offense. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you expect to see defensively from Kansas? What, maybe a little bit game plan wise um, where they're going to try and focus their, their attention. Yeah. I think they've got a, a really tough matchup here because if you look at the teams that have given KU the biggest fits over the last two seasons, it's Texas tech. It's Oklahoma State last week with their tempo, and it's Oklahoma, the three teams that really go fast in this conference. And that's a huge issue because KU, what they try and do defensively is slow the game down. If you sub, we're going to sub a 300-pound defensive lineman who's literally going to walk onto the field while the official stands on top of the ball. And against tempo teams, it's hard to do that, right? And that's going to be a big key for KU is trying to figure out how they can slow this game down so that Oklahoma can't get that ball moving. And once the ball gets moving, you watch Oklahoma, it's really hard to stop that offense because of how well Dylan Gabriel has played this season. So I look at first down and I think that's huge because against UCF, KU did a very good job against that tempo team on first down, making sure that the defense was basically already where they needed to be. They try to stand up, look to the sideline, get the call and go. Where if it's a, a seven-yard run on first down, all of a sudden the defense is moving back. They got to look. They're trying to get aligned right. Um, first down for me is going to be huge because if you let Oklahoma get into second and short, third and short, their shots deep down the field. There's different options that they're going to try and run with what they're going to make you do defensively. So I think KU's really got to win on first down to even have a shot at stopping this offense. Looking at the units on defense, mm. wh- where do you think the strength is? of the defense is there like a standout group yeah so (laughs) it's funny because i think in each game there's been different standouts there have been games where the secondary looks really really good and there are games when the secondary doesn't and the defensive line looks really really good and i think that's the issue for ku defensively is that they've not put together a performance in big 12 play where everybody's playing as one there's always been something that's off. And I think it's a reason why the stats are that they are, right? Caves allowing a lot of yards and a lot of points. It's because throughout the course of a game, you know, the defensive line will have a drive where they get pushed around a little bit, but then they'll respond. But then the secondary gives up a big play. And so I think the strength for KU this season has been the defensive line. They really did a good job in the portal of getting better athletes and guys that fit this one gap scheme defensively, where all they're asked to do is just get upfield create distortion and try and get pressure on the quarterback. And they've got some really talented players, right? Austin Booker, I think in the long run is going to be an NFL draft pick. He's 6'6", 245, could go play for Bill Self on the basketball team. You got Jeremy Robinson on the other side, who is about as consistent as they come. And so at the edge position, KU's pretty good. And then defensive tackle, they got kind of four guys that they rotate. They'll add in a fifth occasionally, but those four guys I think could play um, for most Big 12 teams right now. They could definitely play in every Big 12 team in the new Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave as well. So I think the defensive line, this is a game where they're going to have to get after Oklahoma 
because they do have some issues at guard, at least from what I've seen, um, and try and really create some distortion there and get pressure on Dylan Gabriel. What do you expect atmosphere-wise? Um, I I think there's got to be a bunch of excitement around there. I think the rest of the country has really noticed how how good of a football team yeah. Kansas has put out there the last couple of years. Is have the fans responded? Mm, that's a good question. Um, sort of. That's what I'll say. Sort of. It's not what you thought. I'll be honest. It's not what I thought. You know, you look at last season, right? You sell out three straight games against Duke, against Iowa State, and against TCU. And, you know, this season they've struggled to do that. You know, UCF wasn't a sellout. They should sell out this game against Oklahoma. But, you know, as of kind of Wednesday morning, it's not sold out. Um, maybe it's weather. Maybe it's, I don't, you know, Jalen Daniels not playing. I don't know. But I maybe expect it differently, especially with the new stadium on the way and the athletic director saying that fans showing up to games will determine what the new capacity is, right? That's a big discussion going on here. How big should this new stadium be? The current one's a little bit over 45,000. You know, should they build another 45,000 person stadium? I don't know. Like they're not getting 45 to games right now and the team's good. So, you know, it's kind of a, a bigger discourse around Kansas right now of what should the fan support look like after the last decade of just incompetence in the football program? And I personally think it should be further along. It's not hard to see that this team is well coached, that they fight, they compete, they put a good product on the field. Um, it seems like something fans should support, but again, I'm not a fan. So I, I don't maybe understand the, uh, the the mentality there. That's interesting. I, I know this. I love Leipold. I mm. get to interview him quite a bit. Just a football guy. It, as long as they can hold on to him, yeah. I think the I think the program is going to remain relevant, and that's the, that's a good thing. Like Kansas football, yeah. it's respectable again, and that is that that's something to celebrate for Kansas fans. But it sounds like you think they should be celebrating it a little more than they are. Yeah, I, so I think it's a tough. It's a tough dynamic because I think you do look across college football right now. Attendance numbers are not what they were eight, nine years ago. I think the way fans consume football is different where sitting on your couch in the air conditioning, having four games on your quad box on YouTube TV, um, like that's attractive. And I think it's just the way things are changing um, where I think fan support is big for Leipold because he wants the players to feel supported. And I think that's what stands out to me most about getting to cover him, you know, kind of day in and day out is how much he does care about the players where a lot of the decisions he makes are about what is best for them, right? The way KU's gone about doing these renovations, they did the locker room and weight room first and not the stadium first because they wanted the current players to feel some of this new money that is flowing into the football program because of the work that those guys have put in. So, you know, it's a definitely a, maybe a longer conversation, but I think it's one of these issues where, it's hard to get a feel for is this because Kansas football was bad for so long and fans are hesitant to come back because they've been hurt so many times, or is this just a showcase of kind of the broader college football where fans show up for the first half, early students show up for the first half, and then they leave at halftime and go go about their day. You see that kind of across the big 12 at different schools where the, the, the student sections are, are packed in the first half and then they kind of dwindle as the game goes on. So it's kind of hard to get a feel for exactly. Is this a Kansas thing or is this just a broader kind of college football in the current landscape of, of a Saturday? Michael, you've got a lot of OU fans nodding right there with what <laughs> you just said. Hey, man, appreciate the time. We'll see you in Lawrence on Saturday. I love it. 
Sounds great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, it seems like Swain thinks that the Jalen Daniels stuff is legit. I have my doubts just like you, but also did not expect him to not not be overly pleased with the crowd. Thought that was interesting. That was interesting. I, you know, and I heard on Toby Rowland's show, he had Brian Haney on voice of the the Jayhawks, and he kind of said the same thing, like, not a sellout. They've had some good atmospheres, especially last year when they had the game day and all of that stuff. They've had some good atmospheres. Expects it to be uh, a good atmosphere, but, you know, building off of last season, maybe expectations were that it would be a lot better than what it's been. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe you can say, well, that's what happens whenever you spend 20 years in the tank, uh, you know, but I, I don't know. I kind of kind of thought Oklahoma coming to town, perhaps the last one that that we play maybe ever, maybe for a really long time that and probably feel like we're gettable with as good as they've been. So, yeah, surprising. Definitely. All right, let's preview some of the best games in week nine of college football. But first... John Vance Auto Group has a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie and tell them we sent you. They'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this podcast. They've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game. And with all the garage locations being open to 10 o'clock or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. Week 9 of college football. Let's start with a big one in the Pac-12 Number eight, Oregon, is traveling to take on number 13, Utah. This game is 2.30 on Fox, U, or Oregon, excuse me, Oregon. Currently a six-and-a-half-point road favorite. And, Ted, this is going to be a physical football game. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's Cannot the, wait. Uh, that's the hallmark, really, of both of these programs. Um. Oregon under Cristobal started it and obviously Lanning coming from the SEC. That's the mindset that he's had. And I think they've done a good job with it on the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. Same thing with Utah, Utah culture program, toughness, physicality, 
Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be a good game. I just think that the quarterback situation is going to be too much for Utah to overcome with Bo Nix. You know, I I thought they got a really good play last week, but Oregon's defense is much more physical, much better on the line of scrimmage, going to make things way more difficult. If Cam Rising was there at his best, this would be uh, this would be a pick 'em for me. But I think Oregon's just too talented for Utah. I I have all the respect in the world for Kyle Whittingham and for Utah. I, I'm with you, man. I just think Oregon's a more talented football team. And I, I know the most talented football team doesn't always win the game, but Oregon's got experience in the right places, right? Starting with what you said about Bo Nix. And I expect them to show up to Rice-Eccles to play well and to win this game. Now, I am very interested to see if the ridiculous production from the duo at running back for Utah can continue because Jackson and Vaki have been unbelievable these last couple of weeks. So I think Oregon's defense is really solid. I was talking to Jeff Schwartz uh, about that defense and he said, well, the inside backers, uh, they're not great against the run. I was like, huh? Noted, but it is, I'm with you. I, I love that Bryson Barnes is the son of a pig farmer, and that's where he grew up. That's awesome, man. But I just think that Bo Nix is a better player. I just expect Bo Nix to be able to handle that environment and to make the plays that they need to make to walk out of there with a win. Yeah, and Barnes, you know, credit him. He made some great plays. That physical run where he ran over that safety late, um, I, I don't know. Maybe he was concussed. I was worried that they were both knocked out. Uh, but he, you know, he he stuck it out, kept playing, made some really nice throws on some of those wheel routes that Utah was getting their, their backs out of the backfield on. Utah can win this football game. There's no doubt in my mind. If Oregon shows up, turn the ball over a couple of times, maybe make a mistake on special teams, Utah's going to generate some offense here and there on some things. They could definitely win the football game. It would not be a shock at all if they did, but they're going to have to get some they're going to have to create some big plays outside of their offense. Utah or Oregon rather's been really good not turning the ball over. If they can continue that, I think they'll be fine, but if Utah finds a way to turn them over a couple times and create something explosive on special teams. I I fully expect them to have a chance to win it at the end. Yeah. I just, I just think that Oregon's more explosive offensively, right? Yep. You think Bucky Irvin and Jordan James, uh, what Troy Franklin can do when it comes to stretching the field, that guy can fly. I love, I think Bucky Irving is awesome. He's a, he is a really good back. I I'm with Physical. you. But I, I don't think this is necessarily an elimination game in the Pac-12 race, but it's got huge implications for who wins it and for who loses it. So uh, I I am very excited about this football game and these next, what, four weeks in the Pac-12? Crazy. Loaded. It's, it's awesome. going to be fun, man. Look at us it, talking Pac-12 football. It is. You know, we've been eyeing this. 
this part of the season for a long time. USC's, you know, final four games or because they they finish a week earlier than everyone else in college football. Um, but yeah, it's everyone's going to be playing each other. There's going to be at least one really big game each week. Yeah. All right, moving on to the next game, and you see the spread, and you're like, why would you talk about this game? Let's because Texas has some interesting uh, interesting storylines heading into this one. BYU traveling to take on number seven, Texas. That game will be 2.30 on ABC. Texas currently a 17.5-point favorite. Quinn Ewers is going to be out for a while with the shoulder, so all eyes are on Malik Murphy and what he can do at the quarterback position for the Longhorns. Now, I would not say stopping the run is the strength of BYU's defense, so I expect a heavy dose of Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter in this one for the Longhorns, but what's Malik Murphy going to look like? That is the story of this football game, and I I think that's why a a lot of fans, including myself, a lot of college football fans are going to be interested in watching this game, just seeing what how, how he looks at the position for Sarkeesian. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I would expect that Sark is going to run the football more, try and protect him. You know, I'm not a – we haven't seen a whole lot of him. I just know he, he looks incredibly scary at quarterback. But, you know, I – he's going to try and find a way for him to minimize the damage, whatever that is, find some easy throws for him, find some, you know, I, I think Jonathan Brooks is really coming along. He's starting to find a, a, a really nice groove. I would expect him to, to find some screens and stuff, easy throws to Jonathan Brooks, you know, I do whatever they can to make the game as manageable as possible for Murphy. Now, you could still get yourself in a lot of trouble. BYU, I, solid football team. I would be shocked if they came in and got the win. But when you got a backup quarterback, you've got to be prepared for anything. Couple of turnovers, um, you know, mismanaging things at the line of scrimmage. And if that happens, it doesn't take a whole lot. Like, I don't know how much the margin would have been here anyways, but. I, if if your quarterback makes a handful of mistakes that are bad and a defense can take advantage of, that's a huge equalizer, and you give yourself an opportunity to win the game late. You know, so I I wouldn't count BYU out at all, but the quarterback position is going to be interesting for sure. I could not agree more. I I do think Murphy he's going to look comfortable, right? He's had the full week of practice to prepare Sark's building the game plan around his strengths, what he does well. And remember, he is not a runner, right? There's not all of a sudden going to be a bunch of QB run game dialed up for Malik Murphy. That is, he's a pocket guy from what I understand for people uh, that, that cover that program. Ewers hasn't been perfect, but he did for the most part, make pretty solid decisions in the RPO game. So in in there there was a lot on Ewers' plate when it came to that decision making, and I wonder if Sark trusts Murphy the way that he trusts Ewers to make all those types of decisions. But 
I, I think the most interesting thing that could happen in this game is if Murphy goes six for 12 with two interceptions in the first half. Yeah. And then everyone there at DKR is going, are we going to see Arch? I think when you talk about creating buzz out of this football game, like that's the number one way we're talking about this game is if Malik Murphy struggles, does Steve Sarkeesian stick with them? Does he go to Manning? That's, I, I think he sticks with them, you, but that would be the most interesting outcome of this football game. There's no doubt about it. And I have no idea where Arch Manning is in his development. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I was just a little bit surprised that when it happened, they went, went with Murphy and I don't know, maybe, maybe Arch Manning and that tends to be family decisions on some things with them. I wonder if they've decided that he shouldn't play this year. I, I don't, I don't know. But it would be it'd be very interesting to see him out there, little backup quarterback controversy, and uh, you, you know you, you never know. I in, in this sport in a conference, BYU is a dangerous enough football team that they could beat anyone if they don't show up with their best stuff. And when you don't have the quarterback you're used to having, that's played a huge percentage of the snaps for them over the last two years. And you've got a guy that has played a very small amount of football. Things get even really quickly out there on the football field. Yeah. And that's the thing is all the attention is going to be on Malik Murphy and Arch Manning. It's really about the, all the other guys for Texas. Everyone else has to step up. That's what being a team is. They need to make things easy on Malik Murphy. They got to run it efficiently, put him in good situations. That Texas defense needs to start playing a little better if they want to accomplish what they want to accomplish this season. So everyone around Murphy needs to step up. And, and then when you look at BYU, they have been, I mean, bad doesn't even do it justice. They have been atrocious at running the football this season. And they are the worst rushing team in the Big 12 by a mile. And if the Cougars want to have a chance at all, it's going to be Keaton Slovis slinging that thing. Right. And and Chase Roberts and, you know, Isaac Rex, the tight end, those guys are going to have to go and make some special plays. And then BYU is going to have to have to win special teams, right? They're going to need a huge special team play to make this thing, uh, make this thing competitive. But you start looking ahead for Texas. K-State comes to town next weekend. Lost. It it would be it would go a long way for Steve Sarkeesian and his football team if they would play well in this one and feel good about it, uh, feel good about things when the Wildcats come to town next Saturday. It would. Um now I personally don't believe that it will matter, but it will go a long way for them. Uh, they need to carry some confidence into that game. I, f I feel like it it took all season, but, you know, it, this is kind of what happens with K-State. They find their formula somehow, some way. They found it with Will Howard a year ago. They're about to find it right now with the two-quarterback system, and I feel like K-State's going to look like we expected them to look the rest of the year. They're going to beat 
Texas next week. Oh, look at you. Yeah. That's not that – I don't think it's that bold of a pick, honestly. Let me let me see how Malik Murphy looks first, and then I'll let you know how I feel about that game. How about that? I think that's fair. Uh, any fair. other games this weekend that you're interested? We've got number one, Georgia versus Florida in Jacksonville. Uh, number 20, Duke going to number 18, Louisville. I that's think, an interesting one. You know, Cincinnati's coming to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. Like Anything else really stand out to you? Yeah, well, I think all of those are good. I feel like, you know, Georgia is, you know, either in Florida five and two, I think, but you know, not getting a whole lot of attention. I think Georgia, it's been weird getting their attention. I think they've been sleepwalking, and I know I've said that a bunch, but you know, this is a rivalry game. They'll probably wake up for this one. I think they just absolutely put it on Florida. The Duke Louisville game is interesting, man. Two really good football teams. Louisville has flown under the radar to a large degree, but that's a really solid squad. I think that's going to be a good game. And the Cincinnati-Oklahoma State is interesting. A really good front seven. Are they going to be able to slow down Ollie Gordon or not? I, You, you see that line. I think Oklahoma State's a seven-point favorite, seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Some places – I don't expect Stillwater to be the place where Cincinnati just starts playing really, really well on both sides of the ball, but it is interesting because I I still don't think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's offensive line is very good, although they are playing much better. Getting the left tackle back, 71, was, uh, was important for them. But I mean, Corleone and Briggs could get after that group a little bit. And make things interesting. I can Ollie Gordon continue to produce the way that he's produced it? I think that's a fun storyline heading into the weekend. I, I think it's awesome. And the better a guy plays, the more time and effort the offensive staff is going to put on creating more opportunity for him. And it's clear he's their best player. I I fully expect them. To get, he's going to have 30-plus touches in the game. And it feels like he gets better the more he touches the football. So I kind of want to see him go wild again. Is that is that bad? I absolutely do, too. Yeah. He's fun to watch. Can I – I don't know if this is a hot take or not. It's something I was thinking about earlier this week. The, the Heisman Trophy conversation is interesting right now. I don't think Ollie Gordon's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I just want to throw that out there initially. However, you start thinking about non-quarterbacks that could end up in New York City. The conversation starts with Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Yeah. Maybach Marv. Not Maserati. Damn it, Gus Johnson. Much better. But I, I think the conversation clearly starts there. And then you've got the Brock Bowers conversation, right? Which now he's going to miss a lot of time. He's out. It will be interesting to see what that Georgia offense looks like without him against Florida, though. Those are the two names. When you think about running backs, Jonathan Brooks at Texas, right? With the opportunity he's got with yours being out. If he just dominates the next month, he's going to be in that conversation. And Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State. 
Now, I don't think this is going to happen, but I, I think they're going to beat Cincinnati on Saturday. If they beat OU, which once again, don't think that's going to happen in Bedlam, and he goes crazy again, it's quite possible that Ollie Gordon will have the best chance of any running back in the country to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. Oh, yeah. It, what, his, his last three weeks, he's probably gone 600 yards rushing uh, in the last three games. You know, if, if you combine them, he's on an incredible roll and gaining steam as they go. So be fun to watch. He looks like a beast out there. It's awesome. Very it cool is. to watch. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it's a hip thing, and the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the Hip Clinic in Oklahoma City. No matter your age, the Hip Clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the, let, don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the Hip Clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit thehipclinicokc.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kicks off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I've got to go with Cal. Um, They're playing USC this week. I was about to say what I it's they're playing USC at the perfect time. USC's lost two straight Notre Dame, Utah, and there are distractions galore around the USC football team right now. Obviously, you know, even though it's not like the Caleb Williams shutting it down for the rest of the season conversation is nothing that he started. And I would say that I probably don't think it's something that he's going to do, but the fact that it has been a conversation, whether or not he started it or not, the fact that it's a conversation is hanging over the heads of the players in that locker room. You know that they hear it. He's probably said, listen, guys, I'm not, I'm playing the rest of the season with you. I'm, 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 I'm here with my teammates, but it does put the question in the air for, for the rest of the squad. It's just another distraction. And then your head coach hadn't been there the first two weeks of the, or first two game, first two practices of the week. There we go. There you go. Way to go. Um, that's a big deal for an offensive – the guy that calls the plays, forget that he's the head coach. Uh, you can navigate that. But he's the game plan and play caller for them. Like The one specialty that they have right now is their offense, and the fact that Lincoln Riley's missed the first two days of practice because of an illness is – I that's hard game plan-wise. Not to mention 
the you-know-what storm it's created around the program out there about what is he doing? Is he leaving? Is he going to the NFL? I, it's just – it's not a good time right now in the USC locker room. This is upset special for Cal. Like if you're going to beat him like right now is the time to beat him. And if that happens, think it's bad out there right now. Oh, buddy, it's going to fall apart. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on with Lincoln Riley in the health situation, right? Uh, what they say, he's at home under doctor's orders. I I don't know what that means. I mean, does he have the flu? Does he have COVID? I Who knows? But this is what I do know. Game planning wise, I I don't think it's exactly a collaborative effort out there. Right? I think it was mainly him putting all that stuff together. And always has been. Always has been. And the one thing that's interesting, and I'm sure, right, they're trying to elevate Kingsbury to an on-field role. Right? Which, by the way, he looks great in a bucket hat. So all <laughs> kinds of clips of him. He's rocking the bucket hat. He looks fantastic. But, and this is something that, a lot of people may not know, but like Lincoln Riley, as far as the signals that he has, he has a, a language with his quarterbacks that essentially only him and his QBs know. And it's nothing. It's like, he just, and it's strange. Like <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's a lot of it is the guys anticipating, like they're so used to it. They do it in the, the meeting room and there's only, it's Lincoln Riley, maybe a QB assistant in there. It's probably Cliff, honestly. So maybe he maybe he knows the language and it's not that big of a deal. But that was something we were told year in and year out when he was at OU. Was it like, hey, he's got this language. And there are very few people that know how to interpret it. Yeah. So when you think about removing that guy, it's it's not an ideal set of circumstances for the Trojans right now, which I know breaks so many hearts of the people <laughs> that listen to this podcast. Yeah, it, it's they're in a they're in a uh, they're in a tough spot, man. They really are, and I think I think deep down the the staff out there like knew that this was coming at some point. I kind of knew their capabilities. And knew what the back half of this the schedule looked like, and you know maybe they can hold it together. But if things started to crack early, it this it's going to be a runaway runaway freight train on them because this is the easiest game that they have left, and it ain't easy right now. Cal can definitely win this football game. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, people will have eyes on that one. All right, who do you is your loser? of the week got to go with michigan mm. got to go with michigan now the this has been a huge story and it's it's spun out for anyone that don't doesn't know where have you been but uh cheating allegations against michigan's uh signal stealing from from other teams um supposedly going, buying tickets 
at at away at other teams games and videoing the other sideline to get the signals for the play calls and um the whole thing is really blown up on him Harbaugh said he doesn't have any involvement doesn't know anything about it maybe that's true um it's just to me it it is just optically way worse than what it actually is not that it's a good thing but this it's a bad time for Michigan to have to to go on the defensive for this and honestly i don't know what the implications of what has happened and what the evidence says and the big 10 has come out and said that they don't have to wait on the NCAA to make a ruling what that might be i have no idea what that ruling may be but it's not going to be a good situation for michigan for for public perception alone and for harbaugh uh, you start looking at how long so, like this this sign stealing operation has been rumored to to go it really coincides with the the streak of michigan taking it to the next level so I don't know what comes of it, but it is a bad situation for Michigan. I I agree. Now, I think that I think if what they were what they have been accused of doing, right? What they have allegedly done, I think if it ends up being true, I kind of think they're going to get hammered. Right? If they had someone that was sending people or going himself and filming opponent sidelines during games. Like that's cheating. That's, that's different than gathering what you can gather from the all 22 from the TV copy and stealing signals within the game. It's different, right? I, some people say, Oh, everyone's doing this. No, they're not. No, they're not. A bunch of teams aren't sending people to other teams games to film their signals from the stands early. What do you mean by a bunch of teams? I I would be surprised if there were more than like five teams in the Power Five doing that. I'd be surprised if I'd be surprised if in in most of the top twenty five teams weren't doing it to some degree. This is have some you teams. Have you seen the here's the question I have for you. Do you think odds makers are bad at what they do? No. Do people set in the lines you think they they have a pretty good understanding of what they're doing? Yes. Michigan, it started three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Against the Big Ten since 2021, they're 17 5 and 2 against the spread. That is a statistical anomaly. It's almost like they knew what plays the other team was going to run. or They had some very large competitive advantage. You go look at Bama's numbers. You go look at Georgia's numbers. You go look at all these other teams' numbers. They don't look like that against the spread. They're all very close to 500. Yeah. I Which that, that statistic, it's like, oh, they're just the best team against the spread ever. That is fishy to me. 
That well, makes me think they were doing something that no one else is doing. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I Here's the thing about big-time college football. There is a lot on the line, a lot of money on the line, a lot of pressure on the line. And when it's as easy as like cell phones have changed the game for sure. And when it's as easy as putting someone in the stands and having video in the other sideline for their signals, does it cost a lot of money? It's not some huge investment you have to make in the program. It's, it's essentially free data. Now, you're breaking the rules, or at least I think you're breaking the rules. I think they may have changed some of it as far as, as what you're allowed and not allowed to do. I haven't been able to get clarity on that so far, but man, I just, I, I know that there are, there are teams that are doing everything they can to level the playing field. And I'm not saying that everyone does it like, like for example, Michigan, they're not going to find what the, they're not putting people in the stands. I would imagine to see what, uh, Boston college is, is doing on the, on the signals or, you know, central Michigan, but there's, there's three, four games in a schedule that you're trying to find any edge you can. And I think a lot of teams get all of the information that they can. How many, I don't know, but I would say it's, it's more than just a handful. All right. That's why every team in college football goes to extraordinary links on the sideline to try and keep their guys hidden. I'm with you. Just put just put speakers in the damn helmets. They're doing it in the bulk in the postseason. I saw that. Right? I I don't know what's going to happen to Michigan, but what they were doing. Maybe they're not the only one doing it. Maybe I'm just naive. The against the spread numbers are suspicious to me, though, okay? Very, very suspicious. But I think when you look at it, hopefully this will get comms in the helmets, right? And that'll just be commonplace in the Power Five. But this is, and a lot of people have pointed to that video of Michigan's players, right? And Stallions in the background of the Ohio State game last year, right? On the first drive of the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh. Here's the point, though. The, the the clip that everyone's talking about was a touchdown by Ohio State. So, I you may know the concept that they're 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 running, and like there's a difference between knowing it and getting the perfect call, and everyone on the field knowing it. Like if you could walk out there and tell your guys what play they're running, that's different. Like essentially, the most you could do is signal in the best call for that. If that's what it is, it gives you an edge, but it's not everything. It is. However, like just knowing runner pass as a defense is a massive advantage. If, if you are playing defense and you don't know, forget the signals by formation, by body language. If you don't know what the play is, especially in the second half, if you don't know what the play is that they're about to run, you are behind. 
you have problems. Uh, you you better have it boiled down to like one, two, or three plays in your head that they're about to run on you. If you don't have that, then you're about to get your ass blocked or exposed. I just don't know what's going to happen to Michigan. This I think they're the best team in the country. I've been really impressed. I think they're really good. But now they got this whole thing hanging over them. And I don't know whether to blame just Connor Stallions or the entire staff, blame Harbaugh. Like, how much did Harbaugh know? I find it very difficult to believe he didn't know what was going on here. But it is a massive distraction for that football team. And you could say it's going to make them go, oh, no, everyone's against us. It's us versus the world. I mean, everyone thinks they're cheaters now. Yes. That has a... That has an effect on a football team. It does. And at a minimum, I people maybe that didn't know about it, which there's a lot of things that – there's a lot of ch- chatter in college football between coaching staffs that never see the light of day. right? And I would be shocked if this wasn't a well-known thing – you know, especially with their rivals, right? But at a minimum, it's going to be very difficult for them to get any signals on anyone again. I I imagine you're going to go totally new set of signals that you have uh, against Michigan and probably different ones first half and second half. Just use the wrist, man. Any good defense, I – if you're if you're if you have signals, if you're hand signaling stuff in, it's it's in my opinion, it is a travesty if you're if if you haven't picked up on a good portion of those by the end of the football game. If they haven't if they haven't changed them, right? If they just have like a one set of signals through a football game, you should be picking up on that by at least the second half. I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, is this a, it feels like a big deal. I know. Like, does, does Michigan end up vacating both of their big 10 championships? Like, I, do they lose a bunch of scholarships? Do they get a bowl bait? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. We've never seen this. I know the, there's like a really wide, a, a wide, like spectrum of what the punishment could be. I could see them I I don't know there seems to be between some people I know like the people that are writing stories about it it's be it's getting pretty outlandish but there's also a group of people that seem to think that they haven't broken any rules so yeah, Michigan fans <laughs> right so I I honestly I don't know I don't know what it could be did you see the stuff on the Tennessee message board yeah, the guy saying, breaking that it was going on. What was that, like a year ago, year, year or two ago? ago? Last last season, so it was started text or started messaging about it in like the late season of 22 and then like right before the championship game, I think, or whatever, but um, pretty much laid it out there. It is interesting in that post, he said that apparently there's no communication with any of it to Harbaugh. Like that was I, a point in that post. Stallions is standing awfully close to Harbaugh at a lot of that stuff. It may, maybe he 
kept a degree of separation. I I think that's what it is. I think it's like I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I can't know. Uh, I've heard that you guys are good at it and you've got a system going on, but yeah, which I don't think like, he shouldn't be standing next to, I, I know he's standing next to Harbaugh, but that's kind of the wrong person to be standing by. Well, no, he's mostly standing next to the defensive coordinator. Right. Yeah. And, and the defensive the coordinator the- is listening to what he's telling him and then relaying the call. It. I, once again, I don't know how big of a deal it is. I don't know what's going to happen to Michigan. All I know, I think they were cheating. And you may be right. Maybe more teams are doing this than I thought, than I think. And if that's the case, can you imagine how nervous the people that were carrying out those operations for the other schools are? Oh, my gosh. Hopefully they're a little more thorough. Especially whenever like it got out and they checked like the ticket purchases and saw that he had used his name. I bet every, every team out there is like cross-checking like a lot For of names any staffers names in their ticket system. Oh yeah. Is, that's why I'm telling you, like, if, if, <laughs> if it's pervasive and it starts to be found out that it's pervasive, Look for the uh, the decision to be made instantly to go to speaker system instead of like some big, like across like some big, like, a bunch of pe- big scandal across college football. You know, like there becomes a point where it's like, yeah, let's just move on to uh, <laughs> to, to helmet stuff. Yeah, I I'm very interested to see how this entire thing plays out. I- anything else on it? No, I I think until we hear from from someone in in authority, NCAA or Big Ten, I don't know what else. Like we, we kind of know what happened. It's just kind of wait to hear from someone that that's going to make some type of ruling on it, right? The best part is the card, which I is real. The photographer has said it on Twitter. The guy that took the picture said he did not doctor it anyway. Of the card of the signals on it, the diagram of the signals. I think every sideline should have that. <laughs> every sideline should have that. If they're over there signaling and someone has picked up on when they do this. Yeah, no, running. but they're like printed out little diagram guys. It's before yeah. the game. Well, okay. That's what I'm saying though. If you play, if we play Texas Tech and Texas Tech we think uses the same signals and we've been able to pick up on them. I think everyone should have a card. Hell, I think the players should have a card on the wristband. All right. If they're signaling it in and you can see what the signals are and like you could build a database on it, but you build a database on every other kind of information there is out there. Personnel packages down in distance formation, all of that stuff to get tendencies. I don't know why you wouldn't do it on signals as well outside of going against the rules. Right. I think the uh I think the debate here is not hey do does everyone steal signals? Yes. But I think everyone did it from the all 22 from the TV copy and within games and maybe right. talking to other teams. Right. But what I I'm don't think there's the play sheet looks bad. Right. 
the play sheet looks bad, like the signal sheet looks bad, but in I do not think that that is indicative of of like a big cheating operation going on. I would bet that most teams have that. See, man, I disagree. I've never seen that. I've I've never seen a group of players react the way that Michigan's players reacted in that clip on the first drive of the game. It's my what sixth year on the sideline. And remember, this is like a low level guy on that staff, and every player is standing near him listening to what he's saying. That doesn't happen on OU's sideline. And I can't recall it happening on any sideline. Maybe it's just because I haven't been looking for it. But the first drive of the game, I don't know. Clearly, I I think this, I think what Michigan was doing is cheating. You kind of, it seems to think like you're more of the gamesmanship portion. But I I just think the, I think going, I think going to, a, I think going some like having someone in the stands and videoing the signals is I think that's cheating. Yes, we agree. I yes, I think that that's cheating. Okay, but I think there's there's a lot of things that you see from Michigan that are not because of the accusations. Everything that you see out there, people are trying to say, see, look. I'm just saying that a lot of the things that you've seen that they're trying to show as evidence is not evidence at all that a team is cheating. That's all I'm saying. I think you you should be able to build a database of what people's signals are without going and putting someone in the stands and videoing what they're doing. That's what I'm saying. And all I'm saying is the against the spread numbers don't add up. (laughs) Right. That's all I'm saying. It's all said. All right, that was a lot on Michigan. We'll see what happens. I, it, they could get a slap on the wrist. They could get hammered. I, I don't know. It feels like it's not to keep going, but it feels like it's going to be a heavy because it's such a, it's such a big story that I would be shocked if they came down light on them. And Jim Harbaugh and Michigan aren't exactly in the good graces of the NCAA currently. That's right. That's right. The cheeseburger. <laughs> All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that'll give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top of the line heaters to keep you warm during the cold tailgates later in the season. Oklahoma owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405 495 1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C H. A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank knows how to keep fans like you happy with more than 50 awards in the last five years, including Forbes Best in State Bank, the Oklahoman's Community Choice Awards, and the Journal Records Reading Rankings. It's clear they are Oklahoma's number one pick for quality banking. And you can find that level of outstanding service in everything FFB offers. Open an account at an award-winning bank today at ffb.com. First Fidelity Bank. We go where you go. And head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast, merchandise, and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft 
and 10% off. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Season gets started tonight in Chicago. Ted, let's go. Bulls tonight, Cavs on Friday, and then the home opener on Sunday against the defending champs, the Nuggets. It's just going to be such a fun season. I'm so excited. Win total is set, depending on where you look, 44, 44 and a half. Give me the over, baby. Let's get this thing rolling. Nope, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm. It, it feels good. Feels like we got some some uh, some really good things happening there, and it does feel like the cat's out of the bag too. You listen around the league that a bunch of people out there think Oklahoma City is going to be pretty good this year. Yeah, I'm excited. But my winner of the week, the Texas Rangers. Not exactly the suspenseful game seven I was looking for. But what a performance on the road by the Rangers. Go to Houston and blow out the Astros in game seven, 11 to four. It's got to be a good feeling. Uh, pretty insane. You look at that series, you look at the ALCS, every game in this series won by the road team. Crazy. I, I mean, I just don't even know how that happens. That's so much for home field advantage. I know it's it's so crazy that what two games in it felt like oh the Ranger, Rangers just going to run away with this thing it's been it's been fun with the with the Astros but you know it's just uh, it's too much and then they fight back scrappy make it a great series yeah but Adolis Garcia that's a bad man yes it is. He was what an insane a- ALCS for that guy. Two homers, five RBI in game seven. And then you go back, you think about game six, had the exc- exclamation point grand slam in that one. He had five homers in the series. I think they all came in the last four games. That's crazy. 15 RBI postseason record. I mean, put the team on your back, Garcia. My goodness. Looks like he can carry it too, guys. God knows where the weight room is, clearly. No kidding. That's a big dude. Yeah, that's that's red hot. Um, that's a stat line that you are you're rarely gonna see. And if he keeps that rolling, they're gonna be tough to beat. But, you know, I who knows what's gonna happen. It's it's been a wild postseason so far for uh Major League Baseball, which has been good. It's been fun. Yeah, I am not sure the Rangers having home field advantage in the World Series is a good thing. They're 8-0 on the road in these playoffs. So maybe maybe they wanted to continue the streak of being the road warriors. I I don't know, but one thing I do know, very smart move. And the the Diamondbacks did the exact same thing. No dogpile in the celebration. Smart. Metal spikes, a lot of weird things have happened in baseball dogpiles over the years. Smart decision from the Rangers. I I cannot watch those dogpiles happen. I just can't do it. I know in college, the College World Series, it's a big deal. I can't watch it, man. I don't know how they make it out of there without like destroying each other with those with those spikes on. And I don't know if if anyone out there has ever been on the bottom of a dog pile that that is that big, it feels like you're going to die. It really does. It feels like you're getting your soul crushed. Not, not a good situation, but both teams avoided it, which brings me to my loser of the week, the Philadelphia Phillies. 
They win game five in Arizona. Two chances there at Citizens Bank Park. Two chances in the best environment in baseball to win. They'd be bulletproof there. One win and you go to the World Series and the Arizona Diamondbacks were having none of it. Win game six, hammer them. Win game seven, and the Arizona Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series for the first time since 01. I remember that team. Luis Gonzalez, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling. I remember Craig Council. I remember that squad. What a performance by the Diamondbacks, but man, is is choke? Is that too strong for Philly? Game seven, no. game game six, and game seven in that environment can't get it done. Can't get it done. I I thought I thought they were going to be on cruise control. They just looked unbeatable, and ah, uh, shocked shocked that it unfolded this way. Which maybe a bunch of people aren't. You you uh, and Mad Dog both. I did not watch uh, a bunch of Diamondback baseball this year. So uh, I did see the Phillies were red hot whenever the the postseason started. So, yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, Not only did I not watch any Diamondbacks baseball, I could not until the playoffs started, which once again, only watch playoff baseball. I could not have told you a single guy on their team. Just being completely honest. And now that I've watched him, I can tell you maybe a couple. <laughs> Corbin Carroll, that dude was raking. Yep. What is he, like 23? Young, really young. I mean, what a massive Game 7 performance for that dude. Three hits, I think two bar, two RBI, two runs. I mean, he was involved in all four runs in the game, yep. the Diamondbacks. So you, you, you combine that with what Arizona's bullpen did in that Game 7. Just shut the damn door, man. I, I was just sitting there waiting for the Phillies to get something going in the back half of that game, and I just kept waiting and waiting, and it never happened. And then those types of games, the stars have to deliver, right? And the Phillies have a lot of names on those teams, but Trey Turner 0 for 4, Bryce Harper 0 for 4. And both had an opportunity in that seventh inning to deliver and didn't. Did yeah. you see Cassianos's numbers for the series? I see it here in the rundown. I did not see it at the time. Oh, for 24. I got to say. Brutal. Brutal. But to me, it's a little bit of karma with how he ended that last series whenever you know whoever the you know the reporter was down there doing the television interview I kind of laid out his stats I don't remember what it was it was like three hits you know three RBIs it's the first time anyone's pulled that off and like he was like what's the question in that you remember that did you see that he's like where's the question so I it just to kind of put that that guy on the spot. I I thought that that was weird, and maybe that's a bit much to have uh, to say karma on the O for twenty four. But that is not good to go O for a series that could send you to the World Series. Yeah. Now uh, looking ahead to the World Series matchup, I saw Jeff Passon called this matchup 
quote, perhaps the most improbable World Series in baseball history. So it, it's going to be fun. Uh, you look at the Rangers payroll, $251 million. Diamondbacks, $119 million. The highest paid guy on the Diamondbacks team is Marte. He's getting paid $11.6 million. I mean, it's this is why a lot of people say baseball needs a salary cap. And then you look at the World Series matchup and you go, does it? It's, I mean, baseball's weird, man. And I am, I'm excited for the matchup. I will be watching. I still think one of the weirder things that people talk about after you get a matchup like this, right? An improbable matchup is the people who have, I mean, just no horse in the race. I don't know why they care. It's like, man, the TV executives are going to be pissed. It's like, who cares? <laughs> I don't care. It's, it's a fun matchup. TV. They're the two hottest teams in baseball. Let's ride. Let's go. Let's have some fun. Good. Like, let's let the, let the TV ownership, um, you know, suffer a little bit. I got no problem with that. It's still going to be on television. I don't care. Um, but I, I'm down for it. I'm going to be watching. I know that. I And I'm not a Rangers or a Diamondbacks fan, so. Nope. Now, I have had a lot of people on my timeline who I did not know were Rangers fans. All of a sudden, they're Rangers fans. It's That's interesting how, how that works. works. Usually how it works. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. Works. A lot of Oklahoma City people. Oh, yeah. Huge Rangers fans now. It's interesting. But, oh, it was hey. the worst with the Cubs whenever the Cubs went to the world series right everyone that you've you've ever talked to is now all of a sudden the diehard cubs fan just a reminder us that game six and game seven of that series watched him win it fun fact he's playing for the browns nice. it was in cleveland nice. fun time ou shirt okc thunder hat both games <laughs> nice let's go all right birthday shout outs happy third birthday to zoe win Happy 11th birthday to Farah Frisbee. Happy 26th birthday to Devin Proctor. Happy birthday to Sherry Singer. Happy birthday to Brody Kilhoffer. And happy birthday to Zanadine Alhusni. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. Alhusni. Yeah, I think so. We tried our best, (laughs) ZA. Yeah, tried our best. And happy birthday to Scotty Elizabeth Proctor. On that note, episode 365 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Sunday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Series 6 and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like those videos. Help us out. And we hope you have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the games on Saturday. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more time.